Hello and welcome to season two of Inform's Meet Her podcast. My name is Terry Barclay and I'm president and CEO of Inforum, a nonprofit whose work includes highlighting and supporting diversity in business leadership. The Meet Her podcast series introduces listeners to women of accomplishment whose experiences and insights feed us all on our leadership journeys. And I'm just so very excited that joining me today is Kimberly Keaton-Williams, Vice President, Talent Acquisition and Development, and Chief Diversity Officer at McLaren Healthcare. Kim is also a longtime and active member of the Inforum Board of Directors, and we're so proud to have her leadership at work on our behalf. Welcome, Kim, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate you having me. Well, I know that you have a lot to share with us. We have a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. How do you define and communicate the differences between diversity, inclusion, and equity in your organization? So this, this is a great question, Terry. And the way I explain diversity um, in our organization is really a reflection of all the different dimensions of diversity and differences that we have. And so when we look at our organization, we have people of all types of um, races and ethnicities. We have multiple generations in our organization. Obviously there's gender diversity, there's education diversity, geographic diversity. And so I really look at diversity in a very broad sense of all the dimensions that we bring um, to our organization that represent who we are. And inclusion is just as important as the discussion about diversity. Inclusion means that we're looking at all those differences and leveraging them to get the best outcomes um, for our organization as well as for our patients. And so inclusion is that everyone has a voice at the table and is represented in the discussion and valued for who they are. Equity is something that um, I'm really passionate about, especially when we talk about healthcare. We, we understand that equality and treating everyone exactly the same way is not the way that we're going to necessarily get the best health outcomes. So I look at equity as what do we need to do in order to make sure everyone has the same potential for a great outcome and for our very diverse patient base that may be different healthcare solutions and different needs that they have in order to make sure that all of our patients achieve the best possible health outcome. Mm. I, I, so I love that answer and those distinctions. And, you know, the, the conversation about equity, I think, is the part that has really ramped up in recent months and years. And I, sometimes it's a tough concept for companies who are used to um, guarding, I guess, against discrimination by making sure everybody's treated exactly the same. Um, but that's not what equity teaches us has to happen. We're trying to create you know, opportunities for each person and they're coming from different places. So I'm really curious about whether um, 
Do you think that working in healthcare, because you've worked in a lot of different industries, do you think that because people in healthcare understand equity from a patient care perspective, that it might be easier for them to translate that concept to the workforce? Or is it sort of the same level of challenges? Wow, that's a great question. I think conceptually in healthcare, we understand that that patients and certain populations have um, a variety of challenges in healthcare, but I do think it's still a difficult concept, even in our industry to figure out, so what do we do with this information? So for example, in healthcare, um, I think I've read that about 40% of your health outcome is based on social determinants of health. And so when you think about social determinants of health, like your education, your access to care, your access to food nutrition, your access to transportation, a safe environment, there are so many things that affect a person's health that happen before they show up to our doors at McLaren. And so part of the challenge that we have, and and I'm sure it faces other industries, is you know, when you find that there are systemic issues that impact um, your customers, or in our case, patients, you know, what, what things can your organization do to address some of those disparities that happen before they even show up to your door? And in a lot of cases, that can be an expensive proposition or a proposition that requires additional resources. So I would say, we, we understand the, the concept of equity issues, but we are certainly challenged um, in healthcare knowing that we, we can't address every social determinant of health, but we obviously want to do everything we can when the person shows up at our doors to make sure we're looking at creating equity. And then anything that we can do as a partner in the community um, to help address social determinants of health, we want to do it, do that too. But it's it's a challenge. I certainly don't want to make it sound like we have it all <laughs> figured out. <laughs> what a great thank you for that. Um, what a what a great description of the challenges and insights into just how tough it is, how steep the hill is that we that we have to climb. So so let's talk a little bit about implicit bias. Um, what's your understanding of implicit bias and how do you work on identifying and addressing your own hidden biases? So I love this question because I've been going through a lot of, you know, personal examination about implicit bias. Um, I had my very first implicit bias training through an inform session a few years ago. And I hadn't been exposed to the topic before. So this was well before I came to healthcare and even knew that I would work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I found the topic so powerful to really understand how that you can have very clear and strong beliefs of fairness and and equity and equality, and yet have underlying biases that impact everything that you do, your judgments and your decisions and how you approach people and how you respond to people. And I just found it quite 
powerful conceptually to want to think of myself as a person who is very fair and very balanced and then have to acknowledge my biases. And so um, over the last few years, I've taken a number of different courses on implicit bias. And it's one of the foundational courses that we rolled out at McLaren Healthcare. And I will tell you personally that the more I've been exposed to the topic, the more I understand what my biases are. Um, and I really challenge myself when I have a certain feeling of concern or a flag goes up, I really challenge myself to understand what, what is driving that decision or what's driving that feeling. Mm. And I have a, a very recent example in the last few years where I remember being pleasantly surprised at how well I connected to a senior colleague at my organization. And like, I, I just absolutely adore everything about him in terms of his work ethic, his decision-making, his professionalism. And, and he's probably one of the um, biggest supporters I have in the organization and, and quite a, a, a good advocate for me. And I had to question myself, why, why am I so surprised that this person and I have this connection? Why, why am I surprised? And I realized it was, was my own biases thinking that because we um, have different gender, different generation, um, different race, different socioeconomic status, I realized that I assumed because we had those differences that he and I could not connect and be aligned in the way that we are. And I was completely wrong about it. And he's one of my favorite people. And it was just one of those big lessons to me in a very practical sense of how your biases really can create so many limitations in you know, your work and, and how you move forward in an organization. So I am constantly challenging myself on my biases and I encourage everyone to really um, Take, take that topic of unconscious bias, because I know a lot of us have been exposed to it, but really take it to heart and challenge yourself when you are feeling um, your radar go up and you're not sure why. Oh, what a fabulous story. Um, you really, that's just an incredible story. <laughs> I really appreciate your, your candor and sharing it. You know, I remember my first sort of aha experience about unconscious bias. And, and I do love the concept because, you know, I don't, I really don't think people wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to discriminate against somebody today. I mean, nobody, nobody wakes up wanting to do that. But, um, you know, we, we do all have uh, unconscious bias and it can create blind spots and it really is sort of lifelong work to understand, to continue to lear learn and understand yourself. So uh, what a great story about the benefits of committing to that journey and how powerful that can be for your own objectives and, and career and uh, just well-being as a human being. <laughs> I mean, you know, Amen. 
<laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, uh, what a, what a great story. I really, really appreciate that. And, and maybe, you know, maybe our next question is sort of the, the flip side of it. Um, can you tell us about a time when you learned a tough leadership lesson that you appreciate more in hindsight than you might have at the time? <laughs> wow. I, I was really thinking about this. There's so so many leadership lessons. I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is the importance of emotional intelligence. And, and I'll share just a little bit of the lesson. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's tough to even think about it, but um, I, I believe in being transparent and, and honest. So I by nature can be a hothead. <laughs> and, and I know I shouldn't say that as the leader, I should say that I always am, you know, perfectly calm and, and most people perceive me that way. And I think, yes, I, I was going to say, I perceive you as almost perfectly calm. So <laughs> well, I will say that that comes with great work and effort and, and growth. So thank you for saying that because I have received feedback and I asked for feedback on it because it has been an area that I have focused on growing. And I'll just share without going into too many details that as a very young professional, um, having that hot head, um, you know, if, if, if I felt disrespected or felt that something was happening that was unfair, my response to it wasn't, wasn't probably the ideal way to handle it. And I'll just, you know, leave it there. Um, but what I realized um, is that, you know, not being emotionally intelligent, not knowing, not being self-aware, not being in control of your emotions, um, not showing empathy for others and respecting differences of other people, that that will be career limiting. And I thought at a young age that if I had talent and I was intelligent um, in, in my work function, that that was going to be enough to succeed. And I've realized that really at a certain point, your emotional intelligence really is going to be the key to success, especially at senior leadership levels. So I understood several years ago that if I did not get a mastery of emotional intelligence that it was going to be career limiting. And, um, and I'll, I'll say that, that there were some, some decisions I made and how I handled some things that probably weren't the best, but I've learned from it and I've grown from it. And so I always want to share that with, with others. What a great example. I of course, couldn't agree more that emotional intelligence, I love the way you put that, that it will be, it will be career limiting if you don't master it. You can be the brightest person in the world. Um, there will come a time <laughs> when, yes. when that, that catches up to you. And it's why it's such a bedrock of all of our leadership programs that we do at Inforum, um, because it is so foundational. You know, it's really the thing you have to master so that you can, you can really shine. And 
And, you know, another thing that we, we talk a lot about and that I think is being talked about more these days is trust. Mm. Um, you know, trust is often identified as a key element of leadership. Can you share a story or an example of how you have built trust amongst colleagues in the past and why you think it worked? Yes, the, the trust piece is, is huge and and it's such a foundation for having good relationships at work. And I know for 100% certain that my ability to be successful at work is dependent on uh, being able to have successful relationships and interactions and collaborations with a number of different people in my organization. So the way I think about trust is that I look at what's in the best interest of the organization first, and then my department, and then myself. And I think because I approach my, my recommendations, my solutions, my efforts um, with a very big picture in mind, um, it creates trust that when I'm asking people to make changes, or if I'm asking for support, you know, they can see the alignment with the overall organization and they know that I'm willing to make decisions that may not be in my personal best interest, but if they make sense for the organization, or if, if you hear me make a recommendation, people trust that I am giving the absolute best recommendation I know on behalf of the organization. And so even if people don't agree with you, if people believe that you're operating with integrity and they believe that you're operating um, from a perspective that is not self-serving, then the trust is there, whether you're in agreement or whether you need to have a challenging discussion. Um, it's so much easier to have um, a disagreement with someone that you feel is operating from a place of integrity and you feel that, that you can trust their intentions. And so um, as I even look at the kind of work that I'm driving for DE&I at McLaren, it's a newer journey for us. And I really appreciate the trust that my organization has put in me to take us on this journey and, and being an outsider from the healthcare industry for them to say, we trust that Kim is going to come in and learn and challenge us and do so respectfully and with the utmost care for our organization and our employees and our patients. And having that trust has allowed us to move forward as an organization in a place that's, you know, that's difficult and, and is challenging. And I know trust is part of that foundation. Mm -hmm. Another really clear example and, and answer because um, I know that, I, I'm sure that everyone who's listening can relate to situations they've been in where that trust has been absent and just how much more difficult that makes everything and, and how transformative it is when you behave in a way that consistently shows concern in the order that you listed. Um, 
where your your concern is big picture for the organization and you always operate from that base i think you know don't you think i think that we as people have an ability to sniff that out <laughs> you know we we kind of um uh can sense i think when when um someone we're dealing with even if we disagree with them violently you know we may have very <laughs> different points of view but I think we can tell when it's coming from a place of integrity um, and of course obviously that's built up with experiences with people over time so um, kudos to you and and you know really that kind of um, goes to our next question which is there is a growing growing consensus we've been talking about the business case for workplace diversity for for more decades than I care to remember. <laughs> We've been talking about that for a long time. And I think that there is consensus, broad consensus mm -hmm. around that. But then the question becomes, how do you actually help to diversify uh, your organization? You talk about being um, perhaps earlier in that effort at your current organization, but tell us how, how, what you're, what you're doing, how you're helping to bring that diversity. So as you know, Terry, as you say, you've been in this space for a long time and in forum has been a leader in this area. Um, so it's, it's obviously a very heavy lift. And one thing that I have learned in this DE&I space is that you really have to understand the culture of the organization you're working in in order to drive diversity and inclusion. So I remember having a conversation with, with a person who was in a very similar role at, an, at another healthcare system. And when, when I was appointed to this role, I thought, gosh, I need to go and take like a year long training <laughs> in diversity and inclusion. And I had already taken some classes, but I thought in order to do this well, I've just got to go get like two or three more years <laughs> of training and somebody's going to like spell it all out for me and give me like the perfect roadmap and then I can do this well. And she gave me some really good advice. She said, you have the foundational training. Now it's about taking it into your organization. And, and so she said, and you have that, you have the business acumen, you're aware of the company culture, you've established the relationships. And so she, she was absolutely right um, that at a certain place, I think with this type of work, you, you have to make sure it work, your approach works for your organization. And so at McLaren, um, we are uh, an organization that believes in um, a good business case. We have a very um, savvy, senior leadership team. And I know that the best way to communicate change and make the business case for resources is I need to have it make sense for our organization. I need to show alignment between what we're doing from a diversity and inclusion standpoint and how that aligns with our mission to be the best value in healthcare as defined by quality outcomes and costs. So I, have started the, this discussion with McLaren with showing the alignment with our mission as an organization. Um, from there, I think it's really important that you 
connect diversity and inclusion throughout the business organization, throughout the strategies for the organization so that you are not seen as a, an over to the side project that people call on um, specifically for a DNI initiative, but how do we start to work this throughout everything that we do in our organization and all the things that are already important to us as a business, how do we look at those with a DNI lens? So we have five strategic pillars mm-hmm. for our organization. So we have one focused on our talent. So that's everything from how we build up our talent pipeline, how do we recruit talent, how do we handle succession planning, employee engagement, employee retention. We have a bucket for our patients. So looking at health equity, patient satisfaction, and you know how do we make sure that we are providing services that are culturally and linguistically appropriate for our patients. Our third pillar is community outreach. So we wanna make sure that we are connecting and being um, a part of the communities in which we operate. Our fourth pillar is governance and corporate responsibility. So what do we wanna look like as at the governance level and and what things do we wanna be um, in terms of as a responsible corporate organization? How How do we wanna make sure that we are doing the things that are appropriate in how we operate even as an, as an organization. And then the last bucket is uh, supplier diversity. So we obviously in healthcare spend millions and millions of dollars on a variety of supplies throughout our organization from products to services that we buy. How do we ensure that we are supporting not only large businesses, but also um, small businesses, women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, veteran-owned businesses, et cetera. So we started with kind of looking at our five strategic pillars. And then from there, we have looked at initiatives underneath those strategic pillars to drive us forward. And I just want our listeners to know that Kim just went through the five pillars without a note. <laughs> she was doing, I mean, talk about someone who has this down cold and who, who can talk, you know, uh, at the drop of a pin on uh, uh, any one of those five pillars. It's really impressive. Uh, clearly, you're living the value of, of integrating and aligning your work in this area with the work of the organization and the strategy of the organization. So, so thank you. Um, thank you for that. It's, um, you know, it's, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? It's uh, no, <laughs> no it, it doesn't. And, and I have to remind myself of that because I'm very much a driver and I, and I like results and I like outcomes and, I know one of my biases is data-driven performance metrics, um, but I also know that there's a human component to all of this. There's a learning curve. You know, we we as individuals are at different levels of understanding and appreciation and prioritization for this work, and so I, I have to take that all into account. Um, in, in order to figure out the best way to move us forward. And 
And as much as I benchmark other organizations to know what kind of things we should be looking at, you know, as I said earlier, I also have to take into consideration that what, what makes sense for McLaren may look different than the approaches that some other organizations take. So we, we stay focused on the, the true north, you know, the, the outcomes we want, but then working that within your respective organizations may look a little different than, you know, your, your other peers that are doing this type of work. Mm-hmm. Great points. So one more question in this section, do you have a favorite quote you'd like to share? I do. This, this is one I try to live by because you have to be brave to do this kind of work. Um, <laughs> and so I just love this quote in general. Um, May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. And that's from Nelson Mandela. And I, and I love that quote because um, I think for any leadership role, and especially, you know, as a woman, um, I know that there are times when I may be nervous or scared um, to speak up, or I may be put in a, a position of visibility, which is great, but it's also sometimes a little intimidating. And you, you know, Terry, we just talked about that imposter syndrome that mm-hmm. women often feel. We, we talked about that with um, Susan Goldberg. And, you know, I go through those same feelings at times. Am I the right person to, to take this on? Am I able to drive this change? But my commitment to myself is that the decisions and choices I am going to make are going to reflect what I'm hoping to achieve. And it is not going to be reflective of my fears. And so I am just so committed to living that way. And sometimes that can be very uncomfortable, but it is the only way for growth. And um, I've been very thankful that making that type of philosophy has been, um, it's yielded the type of results I want for myself as a person and as a professional. You know, I, um, I had forgotten about that quote from Nelson Mandela. So thank you for sharing it. It's really powerful. Um, in fact, I'm thinking of writing it down and putting it on the mirror in the morning. <laughs> so. <laughs> right, because you have a lot of courageous work to do. <laughs> we, we have to be brave and, and fight through the fears, don't we? <laughs> it's, it's really true. And, and I think it's particularly true at this point in time, you know, for so many different reasons. I mean, the country as a whole is just kind of afraid between <laughs> between the pandemic and you know it's just there's so many challenges um so it's it's thank you for sharing that that one so um before you go can you share with us a story about how you used or maybe even a time when you wish you'd used a key leadership competency and why that mattered wow well you know i already told you without going into <laughs> a, a lot of details that, that I was a, a hothead, you know, back in my, my early days. Now it's just a hothead inside my head. In yeah. This- yeah. I'm trying to imagine you as a hothead, Kim, you know, I, so I, I I'm oh, working I, on that. Yeah. Okay. okay I'm going to, we'll, we'll talk offline and I'll, I'll tell you a story <laughs> and your, your mouth will drop. Um, but, um, 
You know, I think another leadership lesson um, that, that I apply to myself, and you know, we all have different styles. Um, so think, for example, if you've ever taken the DISC assessment, you know, and you've determined whether D for dominant or I for influence or S for steady or C for conscientious. And, um, you know, I think depending on the situation, you may need to pull on different traits, but it's interesting how over time, my style has um, had to evolve just due to the nature of my work and the position I'm in right now. So, you know, I think my dominant trait even 10 or 12 years ago was um, D for dominant. And, you know, I could be quite the, you know, the bulldozer in terms of this is what we want to get done. And, you know, knowing that I have a bias towards execution, um, you know, I can be pretty dominant in leading with that. But, you know, I've had to learn to really appreciate and recognize the value in each of those other traits. There's value in each of them. And so, um, understanding that piece has been, I think, a big part of my growth as a leader. And it gets back to diversity and inclusion. It's, it's beyond just, you know, the, the very obvious differences like our race or our gender or our age, but recognizing that there are people with different work styles and different approaches to solving problems. And how do you leverage even diversity of thought and style and so now as I took this DISC assessment, just in the last year, I was shocked to see that I lead with influence now. And I, and I had to ask myself, is this real? You know, cause I know in my head, I'm still pretty dominant, but I've realized that in order for me to be successful, especially in the role I'm in right now, where I'm leading people who are very senior to me. And so I can't win by being dominant in this case. <laughs> I need to lead with influence here. And I, but I didn't realize that I had shifted so dramatically in my approach to where it showed up very differently um, when I took the assessment. And um, I almost thought it was a mistake. And then I had to really reflect on, gosh, I guess I've had to evolve my leadership style. And I think that's a lesson for all of us. You know, they, they have classes on situational leadership and, you know, I think to be a good leader, you have to recognize that a one size fits all approach doesn't work in every situation. Um, and so I'm glad that I have learned that while being dominant is not a bad thing and it serves me well in certain cases where it's needed for the role I'm in right now and maybe for the future that I really have to rely heavily on the influence side of, of leadership. And, and that can be tough when you don't have that formal authority to make happen what you want. And now you've got to build collaboration and consensus and get people aligned with what you want and, um, and still be successful in getting outcomes. So I guess that would be another big lesson I've learned for myself personally. You know, that that's such a great story. You know, I, I have to confess that the longer that I have gone through my career, 
the less I believe formal authority really exists. <laughs> right. You're right about that. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, we think it's there, but that's not really how anything happens. <laughs> and, and you're right about that. Because, because I will tell you, I have been so surprised at, you know, what I've been able to drive. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is not coming from formal authority. This truly is using influence, relationships, integrity, um, taking time to understand the business, helping people see the value and the connection in where we're trying to go to, you know, how that aligns with what they've been tasked to do. And you're right. I mean, formal authority only takes you so far. And then <laughs> it's about the other pieces of leadership that are really going to get you the outcomes you want. Well, I don't know, you know, if negotiating world peace uh, isn't next for you, Kim, I don't know what is. <laughs> oh, I, I wish, Terry, I, I wish, I, I wish. But you know what? The good thing is for all of us that we all can contribute to that world peace. We all can make a difference in the places um, where we serve and um I remember when I was invited to join the Inforum board just a few weeks before that, interestingly, Terry, I had been praying uh, um, about some revelations of how I could, you know, kind of in increase my ability to serve and, and help support other people. And a couple weeks later, I was invited to join the Inforum board. And it's been, you know, one of those pieces that I just feel really grateful for that, you know, here's one way that I can make some type of impact, hopefully for women and, you know, advancing, um, you know, our discussion of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we, we all can make a difference. <laughs> well, you certainly are, um, Kim, and thank you for joining us today and for being so um, authentic and candid in your conversation and, and giving us all hope that um, even though all of us are wrestling with our own demons, we can learn and grow and change and master them. You know, there is hope. So thank there's you. Hope. Thank you, Carrie. There's absolutely, there's hope. <laughs> uh, well, that wraps up our podcast please come back to informummichigan.org for more opportunities to meet her. And while you're there, check out season one, as well as Meet Him, a podcast series in which male leaders share what they've learned about the importance of diverse leadership. And don't forget to check out our growing library of video tips, virtual leadership development programming, and our calendar of virtual events. Thank you for joining us today. <laughs>